All right, soccer freaks. This is ATL on Fire, the podcast. We're going to be talking all things Atlanta United Football Club. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of ATL on Fire. Dave, how's it going? We just watched kind of a, a tough game to, to get through. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long night. Uh, so we have five games to talk about, uh, but before we do that, uh, hope everybody's doing well. Congratulations, Atlanta Braves. I know, uh, Dave, you're a New York baseball guy. I have guy. to reluctantly congratulate them. Uh, I mean... 26 years, 1995, I was like a second year at College of Charleston. I have to say, there's a guy in our neighborhood, and um, he loves the Braves. It's a guy, and I think he has some 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 developmental um, issues, and he just loves the Braves. You know, he just, he gardens in his front house. He loves the guy, and he was so happy today. And I have to say that even for a New York Mets fan, that, that gave me a warm feeling. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I've to be fair, I've been disconnected uh, from the Braves. I'm a huge Braves fan, but uh, when Acuna got injured midway through the season, I kind of threw in the towel, and all of a sudden I turned around there in the playoffs making an awesome run. Super happy for uh, Freddie Freeman, though, you know. Freddie Freeman's a terrific player. I mean, and I have to say, as a New York Mets fan, when Acuna went down, I threw in the towel for the Braves, so yeah. I was wrong about that. So... Anyway, awesome that uh, there's going to be a parade. Another are you parade. allowed to do that? Are you allowed to throw in the towel? <laughs> yeah, we've got a we've got a parade in Atlanta though on Friday, and, and they're that, giving the kids <laughs> off of school. <laughs> That's another yeah. thing we can talk about. Wow, come but, on, Atlanta school public schools is part for the course. I mean, right. when we went worst to first in 1991. Uh, you know, no one went to school. That's how it's supposed no. to work. You know, you're mm. supposed to just not go to school. You're not supposed to just close the schools. I, you know. Well, you know, one thing you have to say, you know, if you're, you know, for fairness and equity in the state of Georgia people, right? Did they give us off of school when Atlanta United won the title? No. 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 So, and I would have taken so that as an Atlanta United fan, that, that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure anybody should have off of school because a sports team wins the title. But if you're going to do it, don't you think Atlanta United, who won a title for the first time in yeah. Atlanta in, you know, when's the last time before that Atlanta won a title? 95 Braves? Yeah, 95 Braves. Right? So it had been forever. You would think that that would be the moment. Yeah. No. And, you know, tw- hold on. Let me think through. Uh, yeah, 26 years. It's been a long time. But, so why uh, the Braves and not Atlanta United, Mikey Dobbs? I don't know. I mean, I don't think uh, Freeman was trying to throw shade, but he was like, you know, it's been a long time since we won a major championship. And I was like, it hasn't been that long. It's only it's been a couple of years. Yeah, That's it's it. a couple of years. So. <laughs> no, I'll forgive him. I don't think he was mean anything. Oh, oh, Mike Dobbs. Wow. Hmm. So, okay. So, All right. So we're starting out with a beef with the state of Georgia, the city of Atlanta. Yeah. But more importantly, thanks for bringing another uh, nice bottle of red wine. What yeah. uh, what are we drinking? It's a Shiraz from McLaren Vale. I mean, it's very nice. And to be fair, and after fair after watching the game, we're kind of in the tail end of this thing. But it's uh, it's amazing. There's always a tail end and a start to a new beginning, Mikey Dobbs. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, it's it's uh, it's very it's grapey, right? I mean, it's got a lot of kind of fruity taste to it. No? Yeah, well, Shirazes are you know they have um, particularly the Australian Shiraz. Um, they are big and um, they have a, a sharpness to them. Um, yeah. yeah, I like it. It's a good change up. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I also was reading in the AJC. They say that Atlanta United in 2021 is the ninth highest attended soccer club in the in the world which i'm just going to throw some shade on that's not true having gone to games i think that's the that's the purchase attendance of tickets they're using as the i'm going to play devil's advocate on you though because so you got to keep in mind for a lot of the rest of the world they weren't allowed to go to the stadium because of covid yeah Right and Georgia actually was still allowing people to no, go. No, I, I, I. So is it? Are we ahead just because we were allowed to go? No, I think that we probably are in the top ten or, or close. But they're saying there was forty three thousand nine hundred sixty four fans for a on average for seventeen games. I'm not buying that. I mean, that's pretty much like full capacity from how they've had the stadium open on the bottom. Mm. And you know, I would say it's been. Two thirds full at best, you know. We're gonna have to have an investigation. Yeah, there is. I'm, I'm, I want an investigation there, but uh, Dave, overall, just coming out of uh, a tough game to watch, which we'll get into in terms of how we think Pineda played for a tie. Park the bus, you know. Before that, before we get into even some of the previous games, you know, hey, why were we playing Kubo over and over again? Oh. Why don't we play four in the back? You know, why do we keep losing leads in the last five minutes? Mm-hmm. And why is Pineda not progressing this team? I want to hit you with those before we get into okay. the game we just uh, played against New York Red Bulls. Where do you want to start? Why Kubo is Pineda? Torres, he should never play ever again. He's terrible. Done. Okay. Thank you. But <laughs> I, honest, honestly, I mean. That's uh, the- in fairness to the guy, he used to be good. Before he got his ACL, we've said this on the podcast before, he had some talent, but he's just a spent player at this point. Oh, he's so spent. And thir- I mean, and also, I mean, for the Kubo fans out there, right, that even if he, you know, bumped the guy in the last game that, that pushed Barco or whatever, I get it. But come on, anybody can be, you know, slap shot, you know, yeah. you know, whatever. He's just—he's right now holding back another player that might be young to get some minutes that actually deserves it. That's what—that's sure. what bugs me. I agree. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the other thing is, you know, why do you think Pineda is not open to um, playing four in the back? And I think you said you read an article where this three in the back or five in the back system actually intentionally leaves our midfield wide open and that's a tactic that Pineda's backing? What, what did you read there? And why, I think why the, is he I, not willing to, to play for in the back? I think, you know, what I read, and it, in fairness, this was not from Pineda. This was from um, the person who was writing the article from um, Dirty South. Um, you know, the, they were saying they believed... Pineda was actually, you know, he plays, as we've talked about a lot on the podcast, you know, when you play all four of the big shots up front, you play five in the back, that leaves only one in the center midfield. It's math, people. And and so when you leave one in the center midfield, you could see it, you know, even in, in the Toronto game that we'll get to where we dominated, it was so open in the middle because you only have Josetu as the only guy playing in the center midfield. And the the talk in this article was that that is 
sort of by design, by leaving it wide open, you allow a lot of space for counterattack. You spread them out. Um, you know, he has Barco and Araujo um, playing out wide. Um, in the last game in Toronto, there was a claim that that um, Barco and Araujo and Moreno were interchanging sides, in particular in the beginning of the game. It was causing a lot of confusion because they were going side to side. Um, and because... There's nobody in the midfield, um, you know, it's defensively for the other teams, it's hard to know who you're supposed to be covering. So, you know, you can argue offensively it's a tactic. You can argue potentially that some of our counterattacking is working. That being said, you don't have to go back very far to Tata, Mar Tata Martino to know that you don't have to play nobody in the middle to have a great counterattacking team. Um, and, you know, the problem with that is that, yeah, you may open it up and you may get run to attack, but as soon as you lose the ball, then you're going all the way back to your back five again, right? So Yeah, and now that, I mean, you're talking through that, you know, a, a lot of criticism of Barco out there on the, the Twitter sphere is about him dribbling into people in the, the final third. Mm -hmm. But he does bring the capability of what we saw with an Almiron in terms of speed, putting his head down and going mm -hmm. with it. And if he was to drop back a little further and take that on as his role, what do you think of that to bring it up to a Moreno and Araujo who can then finish, finish the job? I love that. I mean, I've always said there's no reason, and we've said on the podcast before, there's no reason for Moreno, for Barco not to drop that deep. And the thing, and the reason you say that is because some players are not capable if they drop that deep of joining the attack. They yeah. can't run that far. They don't have the energy. They don't have the motor to get up and down. But that's not Barco. Yeah, yeah. He drops deep and he can still get, get forward. So why not have him drop that deep? Right. Especially if, you know, you've got a Martinez who we're clearly seeing have to, after an injury at a certain age with maybe five more pounds than he should be carrying because of an injury, not have the motor that he you know, has had in the past, you know, let him just kind of play that, uh, you know, lurking number nine and, and make that happen. And I would argue that my feeling is the thought process is if you leave Barco further up the field, he can beat one guy and he gets a chance on goal. I don't actually think that's true. When you leave him further up the field, he just draws attention, right? He tends to start runs where he's got two or three guys around. Yeah, him. you saw that tonight. When you drop him deep and it's unclear who's marking him, then a lot of times he's now running in space and it's a decision-making about who is going to step up to him. And as you pointed out during the game, it is so much harder to defend coming out from the back to try to defend a guy running at you because you're basically, by definition, diving in a little bit. Right. You're coming forward, they're coming forward, right? And that's a, it's, it's a problem. Yeah, it's got to be timed perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how about this uh, losing bit, or not even losing, sorry, drawing, Tie. allowing a, a lead to slip in the final five minutes. Uh, it's happened, what, at least three times this what season. What did Ted Lasso say about it? Uh, <laughs> times like kissing your sister. That's a weird. It's a weird <laughs> thing. I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry I even said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you had said it originally by yourself, it'd be bad. But now that Ted Lasso said it, yeah. you can get away with it. Um. Yeah. Um. Now I think that that can be coached by making the right subs, mm -hmm. 
um, by having the team prepare with a certain mentality when it comes to the the last 10 minutes so that you have leaders on the team that lead on the field when that last 10 minutes matters and organize and get the team focused. I mean, it does have to come from the players, but that can be prepared in advance. And I was, yeah, disappointed that uh, we let that last lead slide. Uh, even though, you know, when you look at the play, the way it came off of a free kick in the middle of the field, it came back and then it got put back in the mixer behind, I think, Alan Franco or Miles, and it got headed back across. Yeah, I my, mean, my thoughts there, as I told you, were that the back line as a whole should have been more focused and stepping up, and they should have been offside, but they were not. And uh, again, that's focus. The playing the offside trap in that situation is about mental focus. Um, you know, it's about being in shape at the end of a game, and they they lost their focus. Yeah, I mean, I think. You hit the nail on the head, though, when you give up a late goal, you know, obviously focus, um, fitness. But then you also have to look at, you know, um, substitutions, right? And you brought up an interesting point, which is, you know, the substitution that he made late in that game was to bring on Mulraney in the center of the park. So we played the entire game with only one center midfielder until late in the game, he brings on Mulraney as a second center midfielder. Yeah. Um, so what do you think of that? Tell us. Well, if he'd, if he'd have done that a little earlier, if he'd have brought in Jake Mulraney or to your point, Jurgen Dom to keep the gas down. Cause I do believe in a game like that, the best defense would have been an offense, but that would have been earlier on in the game to make sure we secured another goal to be up to nothing. And then you don't have to fortify at the end of the game. But I don't think Jake Moraney came in until like the 80th minute almost yep. 75 80th. So to me, bringing in somebody who's going to put more pressure up front doesn't make sense at that point in the game. So I, I don't get it at all in terms of bringing somebody who's going to put, you know, more speed and pressure as an offensive minded player, like go ahead and, if you'd have brought in George Campbell or Hernandez or somebody like that, I would have given the nod. So, I, yeah, I didn't understand it at all, especially because Jake Mulroney doesn't even play that position. He came in for Joseto, right? Yeah, there were, I was trying to think that there was an earlier game this season where he brought on Mulroney as a left back, and within the first 30 seconds he got beat in the corner and they yeah. crossed it and, and scored, right? So it's twice Mulraney has come on and, you know, we've given up the equalizer very late. Um, I, you know, when I was watching the game, the Toronto game, right, uh, we're up one nothing, and I thought we were going to run over them 5-0. We could have had the chances. We can talk about Joseph Martinez and some of the misses he had. But, um we stalled a little bit at around 60, 65th minute or whatever. We came out in the second half. It looked like we were still going to run over them, and then we stalled a little bit. And I really felt at that moment, we still had total possession. Um, Toronto wasn't doing anything on us, right? And um, that was when you step on the gas. And I thought, you know, the game was screaming for Jurgen Dom yeah. because they were a little bit tired. I don't know if you guys realize as podcast listeners, but um, Toronto made seven changes. They rested players in order to try to win the, the Canadian championship to get back into the CONCACAF Champions League. It feels weird, right? You know, CONCACAF... Um, 
you think of Toronto and Montreal, of course, as American teams because they're in the MLS. Yeah. But, of course, they're not in America. They're in Canada. And the way CONCACAF works, um, because it's the CONCACAF Champions League, there's a qualifier from Canada. So yeah. Montreal or Toronto basically gets in all the time. They just have to win Canada, right? And so they are resting players. They're already out of everything. So they came in. They rested seven players for that match. I didn't know that's and why then, they were doing that. And then they made an additional two subs at halftime. They brought off two of their regular starters again at halftime. So when we gave up the game-tying goal, they had basically nine non-starters on the field. Yeah. I'd, which we'll, is pathetic. We'll get to that game. But uh, <laughs> this this might be a good lead into the, the New York Red Bulls game that we just watched and you know i think you and i talked about this we agree we want pineda to succeed we're not a pineda out by any means could we of course we want the coach to be long lasting here at atlanta united but why isn't pineda progressing this team i mean he's been here almost the last half of the season um and you really have not seen any sort of systematic you know motive of this team of what it what it is supposed to be becoming the thing that frustrates me is not necessarily that they're not progressing it's that he doesn't even seem to be trying to put a stamp on the team right he's constantly tinkering with tactics based on the moment and who's on the field or whatever and the team has no identity right he has never sat down and said you know, given the players that I have, what is the best formation to make those players succeed? And said, look, this is what's fundamentally we're going to play with this team. This is the way I think we're going to succeed. And maybe we have to adjust occasional moments when somebody's injured, or maybe we have to adjust away from that, you know, due to a circumstance playing on the road or whatever. But this is our identity. Um, I have never felt that way at all. And that's the frustration with him is not that the team hasn't continued to do better, but it just doesn't even seem like that we're trying to. It's it's like um, it's almost like he's playing video game soccer, right? Yeah. Like where where you can put in you know different things and you can tinker it for the moment and you know like a you know a football manager program you yeah. have on the computer, right? And instead of saying okay, here's my team. What is it the best way that we can set up the team for everybody to succeed? Yeah. And I mean, I think to your point in terms of like the football manager type of like in the moment, you know, decisions, I think that's my, my viewpoint is like when I would see some of the substitutions, they just had me scratch my head. The substitutions are wild. They're wild, um, right? Like, I mean, tonight was wild. Yeah, let's go uh, through the substitutions tonight because I think, you know, we can go through any well, of the games, but this is a really good game to as, so, a, as so an be- example. Before we get into all that, um, as the game ended, right, Dave mm-hmm. and I were talking about yeah. why why all of a sudden we did make some of those substitutions that seemed a little bit of, like, park the bus. Okay, so you want me to tell you? Yeah, what's your theory? You, you <laughs> brought this up. You had the theory, oh, he's going for the tie. Yeah, he was going for the tie from moment one. Um, so we played very defensively um, the whole game, right? Obviously, he didn't play Joseph Martinez, which is understandable. He's, his knee has been struggling and whatever, and that makes a lot of sense to me. But um, 
clearly we had two defensive midfielders in addition to five in the back. We were parking the bus from the very beginning. Even when we made subs, he brought on Martinez, but at the same time he brought on extra defenders. So everything seemed to me from moment one, it was park the bus, play it conservative, and go for the tie. So why? Why would we do that? And the answer is because a tie gets us in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I was a little confused initially because, you know, I read some things that said that a tie doesn't get us into the playoffs. Um, and I think that's really just a technicality, right? So yeah. currently um, we tied, right? So we have 48 points. We're in fifth place, right? So the, there's only three teams behind us that can potentially be still be in playoff picture. Orlando is at 48 also. Uh, Red Bulls, because we tied, is at 47, and Montreal is at 46, okay? So Montreal is on the outside. It's the only team that can currently make the playoffs. Everybody else is out, right? Uh, I, I think, actually, D.C. United is technically in, but not they're not with regard to us. They can only pass Red Bulls. So Montreal is the only team that can get in and knock us out of the playoffs, right? They're at 46, Right. So they can pass us if we win. Uh, sorry, if they win and we lose. Right. So if they win, they would end up at 49 and we lose it. We're at 48. Right. Um, however, Montreal just happens to be playing Orlando, who's right? also at 48. Orlando's also at 48. So the last I heard, and you can correct me, Mikey Dobbs, but two teams cannot win playing one another in the same game. Is that true? That is true. Okay. So if that's true and it <laughs> continues to be true, then um, if Montreal wins, Orlando loses, right? So then we would still be ahead of Orlando because we're uh, we're at 48. They're at 48. So you say, oh, we're tied, right? So what is the tiebreakers in MLS? Very strange. You would think it's head-to-head. If it happened to be head to head, it's no, it doesn't change anything because we're one, one, and one against Orlando this year. So that doesn't matter, even though it's not the rules. But the tiebreakers in MLS, believe it or not, dear podcast listeners, the first tiebreaker is total number of wins. So we have 12, Orlando has 12. If Orlando loses and we lose, it was the only way that it could happen. Both would have 12, so that doesn't break the tie. We go to the second tiebreaker. Did you look that up, by the way? That is, that is the second tiebreaker is goal differential. The second tiebreaker is goal differential. So we currently have a goal differential of plus seven. Orlando has a goal differential of zero. So the scenario that knocks us out of the playoffs is... Cincinnati beating us by eight? Cincinnati beating us... <laughs> I think technically, no, I haven't gone down. So Cincinnati beats us by seven. I have to look at what the right. third tiebreaker is. Yeah. Right. But, yeah, yeah, they have to beat us by either seven or eight to right. even be yeah. in, the, in the equation. So barring that catastrophe, Cincinnati being, as far as I can remember, right, oh, yes, in 14th last place. <laughs> um, if we lose to Cincinnati by seven or more goals, then God help us. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, barring that, uh, we're in the playoffs. Now, you might say, all right, well, what's the flip side of that? Why didn't we go for the win? Because there's still a possibility of us getting a home playoff game. And that seemed to me the frustrating source about it because I'm like, look, why, you know, 
home playoff game A is huge in terms of winning because the, the road teams just don't win a lot on MLS as we've discussed. But the other thing is, as a fan, you want a home game, right? You and I, Mikey Dobbs, want to go to a home playoff game, right? Um, it turns out that actually a win or a tie really doesn't make one very much difference, right? So the only way that we are getting a home playoff game, there's one match that makes a difference. It's Philadelphia versus New York City FC, right? Philadelphia is already through. They're um, currently in second place. Um, New York City FC is going to get in the playoffs, but they're in fourth place. It's a question of whether us or New York City FC is going to get the last home playoff game in fourth place. Because the way it works is seven teams qualify for the playoffs. The top two get a bye. So three plays against seven at home. Four plays, uh, sorry, three plays against seven at home. Yeah, four plays. Sorry. Two <laughs> plays against, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Two plays against seven at home. The, the top team gets a bye. Two, team, two plays against seven at home. Three plays against six. And four plays against five. So you have to get in one of the top four spots. So we have to pass over New York City FC. New York City FC has to lose. Okay. They are playing Philadelphia, which is in second place. Good team. So there's a chance that they'll lose, but they are playing at home. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Well, so home is in a way at New York Red Bull Stadium. Um, no, aren't they? <laughs> they don't play at their old field, is what I'm saying. That they doesn't NYFC play at New York Red Bulls as their home stadium this year? Is that true? Yeah. Because that why were they doing that? Because that other field is like a miniature golf type of. But is it the whole year they've been doing that? I th I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think their I think their home field has been the Red Bulls. I have to check. I might, might be wrong on that, but they I, were definitely doing that earlier in the year. But I can't remember why. I thought it was COVID or something. Uh, okay. And, and the question is whether they're still doing it for that. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't thought know. it was. I thought that was a long term move because. Their field must break. I don't some know the answer FIFA. to that. That's a I good think their field does break FIFA rules. Yes, it's totally, <laughs> it breaks little league <laughs> yeah, rules. Um, uh, my U15 team is not allowed yeah. to play on that field. Anyway, so New York City FC is playing Philadelphia at home, whether that be at Yankee Stadium or Red Bull <laughs> Arena. I'm not sure. Technically at home, but uh, and it makes a difference actually because Red Bull Arena is not very far from Philadelphia. Because right, it's actually in Newark, New Jersey. Ah, so that's that's yeah, like that's 20 true. minutes yeah. from Philadelphia. Anyway, um, so New York City FC has to lose. Um, if they lose and we beat Cincinnati, we get the home playoff game. If we had one tonight, then and New York City FC loses, we could have only tied. But honestly... I think for, if you're Pineda, a tie gets you in the playoffs, and it means that you just have to beat Cincinnati to have there any chance of having the home playoff game, and that's obviously the scenario yeah. he's going for. Do you feel? Did you feel safe in that uh, scenario this evening? The way that the game no <laughs> parking the bus never works for that. No. I'm not saying that going for a tie, he went with the right strategy, but that's what he was doing. Yeah. Okay. Dear podcast and, listeners, and I'm not saying I endorse that, Mikey Dobbs. So I didn't watch a, a lot of the first five minutes before you got here, but it seemed like New York started the game with a ton of possession tonight, right? And uh, mm -hmm. again, clearly our tactic to 
play more defensive if that was the, the thinking out of the gates to absorb some of the pressure from New York. That's certainly how the first 25 minutes uh, progressed. It, it didn't seem like Atlanta had any sort of um, moments on the ball where they were controlling things and moving it around. There were some sporadic attempts to, again, launch it 40 yards over a midfield, which doesn't exist, to try to get our front four to have some sort of magical you know, moment. You got to figure that part of his thinking also was because Sosa is not available yet. Um, and maybe you know something about what and Sosa's coming back, but I have been yeah. able to find nothing. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Um, but, you know, um, yeah, here's the thing. So, so defensively, we parked the bus the whole night. Um, you could say that it worked, right? Like, we really, we gave up only... I would say one half chance. They hit the crossbar on one that looked like it was going in, but it was really a half chance. Like yeah, I mean, it was, it looked great, but it was, it was. Yeah, uh, his yeah. chances. It would have been a phenomenal yeah. goal if he had gotten that on goal. I yeah. mean, he had. Very, it was a cross. The seventeen-year-old you know. kid from the Red Bulls, right? Uh, was it one of the seventeen-year-olds? Yeah, it wasn't Caden was, Clark, though. It was the other one, right? It was the young kid from. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. Um, and then the only other chance they had in the game was um, the breakaway that Brad Guzan stopped. Now I felt, and Lorenowitz on the on the commentating, that he was offside, and they just let he it was run. offside, and they let it run. It's a little weird, right? Yeah, I think you got to call that offside and bring it back because it just I don't know butterfly effect there. I feel like you got to pause and call it what it was. But then the other one was. Um, Another offside where they scored and went in the yeah. back of the net. And that was, was clearly, clearly, offside. clearly offside. Yeah. Yeah. And then that one was not just an offside where we happened to get it offside and lucky, but the defense stepped up and yeah. caught him offside. Yeah. That's that's absolutely legit right. thing to do. So um, the thing they did not do in the end of the Toronto game. Last, <laughs> last week. Yeah. yeah. What do you really think, Mikey Dove? Yeah. Lack of focus. <laughs> Pineda needs to crack the whip at practice. That's what I think. Yeah, so you want to talk about how we couldn't finish them in Toronto? I mean, yeah, I mean the Toronto game, uh, they're just, and I, I think the Toronto game to to me, that's where you got your leader on the field and Joseph Martinez, and when your leader is lacking confidence, I think that's spilled out in a lot of ways. The way that um, you know you, you see him not taking a chance and letting it run through his legs or uh, not taking a chance and actually laying it off uh, the, or just being off a little. And Joseph Martinez was clearly off in that Toronto game, which was unfortunate, right? I mean, and, and maybe that's a little of why they rested him tonight, that there's something going on. But to me, the, the other players seemed sharp and energetic, um, but there was a lack of just connection between all four of the BAM players that was very clear. And I think Joseph was unfortunately the, the, the weakest link. I have a slightly different take on the match in that I felt that we very early got into party time football, right? Which is, it was that's so, for, yeah, that's it a was good word so easy for us that they thought, okay, we're going to do it, whatever. And I think that Joseph Martinez letting 
the one that Mikey Dobbs was just referring to, there was a cross. <laughs> he had a chance to shoot. He lets, instead of his shooting, he lets the ball through his legs, which he thinks that, that I can't remember if it was Bellow or somebody at the yeah. far post, it was going to be wide open for a tap in and somebody got their foot in the way. Uh, I think that's party time football. I think he love, love that term, by the way. He, I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I, you know, there's sometimes moments when it's so easy at the beginning of the game, and you think, "Look, this is going to be an easy one. We're going to score four or five, and you get a little cute. Because yeah. Toronto was god awful. They were awful. I mean, they were really bad, and we did not get serious. We got party time. You're right. And, and and that was, uh, you know, again when you know we got the Araujo goal, which was you know they played it back <laughs> to the goalkeeper. Araujo super fast yeah. and and pressured him and got you know what the goalkeeper was thinking. I, I have don't know no what idea. the goalkeeper was thinking, but yeah, I mean that was uh, almost unfortunate that we Rene Higita. Almost not. unfortunate that we got that goal because I think. A little mm-hmm. of that led to the yep. party time. I agree. It was so easy, and it was such a cheap goal that they're just like, "Oh my God, this yeah. is going to be easy." And I think they they knew the lineup, right? You know, not sometimes the players maybe don't even know, but um, we just played Toronto like what a week ago yeah. in Toronto. It was a totally different team, right? So the players knew, right? Looking at the players across from them, they knew that it wasn't their first team, right? And, and I think they got. Yeah, part and then then the ultimate party time goal was I was laughing it was like Italy 1990. We went in the box, they passed it around like seven times. It finally Barco standing in there on the ball and just decides to hit a beautiful shot with the outside of his yeah. foot, puts in the upper 90. Right. But he ended up being offside, and right. Italy was caught offside by trying to you know dribble it into the goal. Yep. <laughs> party time football i love that expression yeah, yeah that was yeah what that's it was. what it was i, so, I agree that, I, I think that that, that, sums that up moment the game. when you were talking about that barco called it in the corner like three people had a chance to shoot and they still passed it to like the better super option you're like dude somebody just kick it in the goal yeah exactly mm-hmm. yep. yeah so that pretty much sums up that whole game yeah um, it really does um i'm not sure you can blame Pineda for party time football it gets to the players. Well, that, yeah, I, that was too easy. But I, I agree. I can't. And and I was going back and forth with uh, I think somebody five takes on five stripes uh, on Twitter. I think they do a podcast as well. But he was saying that Pineda tactically put the team in a position to win, mm-hmm. and I, and I agree. Like party time football, they sh- the players were put in a position to win that game. Like. And we really didn't give up any chances. Yeah. I mean, anything. Um, The only thing you would say, I would argue, the thing that comes back to bite you is when you play with a solo midfielder, um, you know, then late in the game, maybe they can get a, you know, a counter. They get to down to your end when they might not normally. But even there, you have to say they did it yeah. when he had brought on a second center midfield. Now, who he brought on, I, so, so that's is a big and that's what mark. and that's what I'm saying. You know, again in the 80th minute, you've seen party time football for 80 minutes. Yep. You 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 put in some defensive minded people, George Campbell, Hernandez. I don't know. You don't put in Jake Mulraney. 
Yeah, certainly not in a position that he's not accustomed to playing yeah. at all. So to me, that just again, he's some for some reason seems to like Jake Mulraney a lot, and he's like, I got to find. I don't dislike Jake Mulraney either. Like, I think he's got a role. It's just and not not a starting role, but he's got a you know he brings energy into a game at times when you need a spark. That that game didn't need a spark. Nope. Um, I think you know. 65th minute, um, I would have brought on Dam to, to step on their throats and be like, okay, party time over. Let's let's have another guy who breaks them down and score. Yeah. Um, and then if it still didn't work, okay, who are the defensive players on your bench? And I think you're right when you say, look, when you look to our bench, you got George Campbell, you got Ronald Hernandez. Those are legitimate defenders. Maybe they're not defensive midfielders, but, you know, um, bring yeah. on a defender. Yeah, I mean, I guess Mulraney has played outside back, but in fairness, I mean, or or, or in a critique of, of Pineda, like, um, he's not actually a really left back. He was a converted. He's a he's an out and out winger who occasionally somebody made him into a left yeah. back. And I'm not. I mean, Mulraney played well when he came in. He, you know, he got on the ball. He's energetic. He slotted George Bello in for. And another opportunity that should have been a goal. George Bella should have scored. Um, so things didn't work out. Um, right. But, you know, I don't know. Tough one. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, to be honest, when you look at the the late goals you concede, you have to wonder, um, you know, where is Sosa? So we've got... Because that's, that's how you prevent late goals is you break up critical counterattacks and you end up in their end. Yeah. So prior to that Toronto game, there were three other games that we could recap. Do you want to go all the way back to, I think what is October 16th. And that was, uh, Are we taking the time machine. That was also a Toronto. Game. Was it Bill and Ted who went Bill and back? Ted? Eh? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, uh, that was a two nothing win over Toronto. So that's a good segue. We played Toronto on the 16th after the two week buy period. It's on page one, Dave, um, two nothing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember Bradley and, uh, Altador played in that game. Like you said, it was a very different Toronto lineup where we ended up winning. That was like, you know, years ago. And let me go back to yes. my notes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Toronto hit the crossbar in like the first 15 minutes. They kind of had the pressure out of the gates. And then we had a bunch of chances, including Bello hitting the crossbar. He kind of hit it low, and it uh, skimped off somebody's ankle and went and hit the crossbar. So it was kind of a wild game. Moreno um, had a ton of chances uh, to, uh, to score from outside. Actually played really well, but... Again, that was like one of the games where you don't know who Moreno is. Like there was a couple moment, moments where Moreno should have, you know, you feel like he should have scored. They weren't the easiest chances, but with his quality, you would have expected him to and didn't ha- happen. Um, so is this, oh, this was also the game. There was two red cards, I think. Yeah, the uh, Barco fight. Yeah, so this was. Well, the Barco head-to-head non-fight. Yeah, well, he got uh, bumped in the back, and he did his like spin out, f- kicked his legs in the in the air, and fa- total faked it, right? And the other player got upset with him, and then they really the camera worked into it justice in terms of like what really happened. I don't know; it was just 
Man. You know, we were talking, I mean, there's, so, so one thing I'll say is that, um, so Martinez didn't play, which meant that um, we played two in the midfield. So Sosa, at first yeah. of all, Sosa was, was before Sosa was injured. So we had two in the midfield, and every time we have two in the midfield, we seem to really dominate, right? When you yeah. get those four guys and you give them the ball, you know, a lot without having them to track all the way back in the game, you know, they are phenomenal, right? Um, so you didn't see Sosa having to make absolutely game-saving tackles. Barco looked absolutely electric, splitting defenders multiple times with 40-yard runs. Um, there was a combination at the beginning of the second half that was one of the best I've ever seen from Atlanta. Um, Moreno missed the, the finish in the very end. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the combination was fantastic. And even in terms of you know steel that we're talking about and and somebody being the the the, the guy who's going to say you know not on my watch right in the 70th minute uh i don't know how to pronounce his name larea bumps sosa just a little bit yeah. sosa walks right over to him and bumps the heck out of him back and is like mm -mm. yeah yeah i mean that's the guy we're missing right and so, um and so this is one thing i just want to say right so as much as I hate Pineda playing just to get into the playoffs, that is the beauty of the MLS Cup. And it is the beauty of a team like Atlanta United, which personally, if I'm in Vegas right now, I am not betting <laughs> is going to uh, run the table and make it to an MLS Cup final. But I also would admit that we certainly have the talent. If a couple things go the right way come the first game, and yep. things start clicking, there's no reason that we can't make that run. I am just personally not expecting it to happen, given what we've seen over the last seven games. What are your What's your feeling about making a run to the playoffs? I don't really expect... Making a run in the playoffs. I don't really expect us to make a run in the playoffs because, again, I don't think Pineda's given us an identity, but I yeah. do think that we're a dangerous team. The talent on this team... You know, if you compare even to um, the team that won the MLS Cup, I think we could go yeah. player for player, and we might decide that this team is overall stronger. Yeah, I mean, I think it is talent-wise, especially when you have Sosa on the field. I mean, look at Alan Franco's finally settled in. Like, even tonight he made a few little – he made one kind of bad decision. Um, but that's going to happen. I feel like – you know, our center backs between Miles and Alan Franco has finally settled in. I mean, they seem very calm. And, uh, and you know, with Sosa in front of them, Josetu finally has found his feet as well. I feel like he's he's really settled. Um, yeah. The, I'm going to make the, a comment about... The, the, the people no. that bother me still, and I like George Bello, he gets up the field. I, again, I think it's tactical, and you mentioned it with... Uh, I think it's the way that Lennon and Bello are being asked to play that's the problem. Mm -hmm. On the wings, I feel like that outside thing is not clicking the way it needs to. You, like you said, they're pushing him way up high on the field, mm -hmm. and they're coming back to receive it. Right. Too many times they're, they're ahead of the play, and they come back to receive the ball, and it kills any chance of a sort of sweeping move with 
um, you know, counterattack, you know, kills the momentum of the attack um, because they're so far off the field. Uh, I was going to point out, you know, you were talking about the defenders um, and, and Alan Franco. Um, if you want to know the difference between Miles Robinson and Antoine Walks, which obviously there's a big difference. I did but mention Anton Walks as being one of our strongest players in the back. In the 92nd minute, he's you know, not. when we're trying to kill the game after we score, we'll talk about the goal in a second, but um, Miles Robinson comes all the way out to midfield to one-on-one defend, and he turns the Toronto attacker back towards his own goal, right, when they're trying to get up the field and pins him in their own half. Um, just a few seconds later, it comes to the other side, right? Walks is in a very similar position and walks backs off 10 yards. Yep. He wants no part of that, right? Even at midfield, when he knows he's got cover in behind him, he has absolutely no confidence in his ability to defend somebody one-on-one. Yeah. And you know, who's, you know, who is a really good one-on-one defender, in my opinion, mm-hmm. that, could play that role that walks is trying to is, is George Campbell. George Campbell is a much better one-on-one defender than walks. And I don't understand why he is in love with walks over Campbell. I don't, to be honest, you know, as we've talked about a lot, when you have defenders, the quality of, uh, I think miles Robinson is by far the best defender <laughs> we so have. Smooth. And he's terrific. You know, you can make an argument. Franco is maybe the second best. I mean, you can make an argument. Maybe Campbell should be starting next to yeah. Robinson, but regardless, you know who I don't remember playing tonight, miles Robinson. And you know what? That is a good sign of a center mid center back. Yeah. He's so solid. He's just, yeah, he's just that he was like invisible tonight, which didn't mean he necessarily did a great job of playing like, he won balls, a bunch of balls just, in yeah, the air in the, in the box. But so good. My point is that with that kind of quality in the center back, why do you need five players to defend? Why? I'm with you. I would love to see, even as like with the games that Pineda had, I'm not saying that four in the back is the end all be all. I would have liked to seen him start more games with four in the back. Like you said, to just figure out what his stamp on this team could be, it's not that much of a reach to say that in some of those games, particularly where you didn't have Sosa, it makes more sense to start with four in the back. Yeah, because, you know, you've got the four, you know, bam, the magnificent four, right? Um, And if you can give them the ball starting attacks in their end, I mean – one of the things that we did under Tata Martino, so we counterattacked great with Almarone, and we won the ball up top. The, some of the other goals that we got were on, you know, Almarone covering back and stripping somebody of the ball and one pass, and we scored a Martinez, yeah. right? When's the last time you saw us win the ball, one pass to Martinez and score? It was in it was two game, games ago, I think, or something, when uh, Araujo did that and he slotted... Joseph right up the center, right? Uh, And Joseph clinically opened his hips up and just hits it on the near post. But that would happen way more often if you had Sosa and Rosetto both covering in the defensive midfield or even two players. And I'm trying to remember if we shift in that game, if we actually had shifted to four in the back at that point. I think we had, actually, yeah. And I think that is what opened it up for Araujo to slot that straight up to Joseph. I want to go back and look at that after this podcast because I'm pretty sure that's actually the scenario. 
So late in the game, Moreno should have ended it with the counter in extra time the first time he got the ball. But what amazing balance he showed to finish the game off. Um, how he stayed on his feet. I mean, his ability. Uh, this is the Toronto game. Yeah, Toronto game in yeah. extra time when they won it. Um, we talked previously about his ability to go one way and shoot the other way, but this yeah. was a stunning example. Yeah, I mean, of he, you know, it was the end of the game. You know, he could have gone in the corner instead. He's like, all right, Michael Bradley's at the top of the 18. I might as well try to beat him, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he kind of cuts across him, and then another defender's just on him, but he just did, like, this stumbling awkward injury. stumbling. <laughs> he does that awkward stumbling thing that is yeah. almost a part of his game. Yeah. And, and yeah, it was a great goal uh, in its own little way. Yeah, and then the last thing I have to say about that is, um, so Toronto, nothing to play for, right? Clear, completely out of the playoffs. Right, and a player tries to 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 bot, you know, snap at at Barco, and what Barco should have done is walk away and say, "Look, you've got nothing to play for. I don't need any of this." Instead, he gets head to head with them, and he gets suspended. Shows his youth and immaturity. Okay, well, I got another thing, and this this isn't just Barco, mm-hmm. but this is if I was a coach of any team in the world, and you take your shirt off after a goal. <laughs> you're getting suspended a game by me like or two games cuz you know what you're getting a yellow card yeah it's the stupid it is the card. stupidest yellow card mm. on the planet mm-hmm. you take your shirt off and you're getting a yellow card and you're putting your team right. at a disadvantage i don't get it so in that goal we talked about where barco had a beautiful shot he takes his shirt off then he gets called for offside for celebrating with his shirt off and for not I mean, you know what I mean. Could it's, we could could we get some some fans in the stands who take their shirt off for him, so that he right, like, really like, have to? Like, I mean, how yeah, do you no, justify that? No, like, you, you can't. You can't. And and it happens in every league. And yeah. I just scratch my head on that. You scratch your head. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I feel like yeah, none of these coaches have any sort of real gumption in the way that they uh, treat that with their players because. There's just some things you shouldn't do as a teammate. If you know you're going to get a yellow card for doing something intentionally, why why do something silly like that? I just don't get it. Don't get it. I agree. Um, what game do you want to talk about um, prior to Toronto? Any of the other yeah, ones? I mean, obviously the the other comebacker where we gave up the late goal to oh, New York yeah. City FC. Right. That was one of uh, the the only is the only comeback we've had all year, right? Yeah, uh, is, is that true? It is true. Okay. It's the only comeback we've had. <laughs> and which one was that? That was the uh, 2-1 in Miami? Well, there's two games, right? So, well, you're talking about the comeback win over Inter-Miami, and I'm talking about where we gave up the late, the late goal against New York City FC. Yeah. The, the bad comeback. So, which comeback do you want to start with? Let's start with the, uh, the Inter-Miami game, which... Yep. Uh, yeah, it felt like the better of the two games, right? Yeah, Obviously I mean, got a win. how did we give up an early goal in that game? Uh, so what happened here? So, oh, that was uh, Guzan came out and was late. And I, I, this is also, you know, clearly I thought it was a penalty kick. I mean, he got mm-hmm. he got the guy before he got the ball on a ball that got played um, deep. Guzan came out the 
don't know if it was a four. We turned the ball over, right, prior to that. Is that true? And then it was a long ball at the top of the box, and he comes crashing out. Comes crashing in. And what I also don't understand is the consistency of the idea of the last man back. So, like, when that happened, I was like, oh, shit, Guzan's going to get a red card here Mm. for this. And he didn't. He he didn't even get carded, I don't think. Um, But they gave a penalty kick. So how is it that Guzan can do that as essentially the last player back, and you see so many times this last player back with a red card, and but I think goalkeeper and you would can call that never a, be the last player back. Clear goal scoring opportunity, Dave. Yeah, but I don't think so because the rule is designed to make sure that you don't cut off a goal scoring opportunity um, by what clattering into him like the goalkeeper. Did? Now, a goalkeeper, if he comes out of the box. Right. Let's say, you know, because this used to happen, yeah. right? The goalkeepers used to come. They would make sure they get out of the box. They'd go for the ball. And if they can't get the ball, they would just grab the guy and pull him yeah. down. And that would be now a last man back foul. But, um, a but goal- what's, what's the difference if you're going to give a PK? Because, well, the difference. So, so first of all, as we've talked about, I never feel like you should ever give last man back Correct. when there's a PK. Which, it's double jeopardy. Right. Which I agree. If it's outside of the box. Clear goal scoring opportunity, you give the red card, right? And Correct. it's not a PK, it's a free kick. But again, this goes back to what we've talked about. If if it was a defender who did the same thing, they would have gotten a red card. Mm-hmm. But why why you know, why wouldn't Brad well, Guzan have What I was gonna jeopardy? argue is that two guys are going for the ball and the goalkeeper's coming out, right? It's hard to argue last man back that he's intentionally trying to deny our last, you know, that he's gonna have a chance to run on goal. Why not? He just smashed him. Yeah, but it. In he, fact, it's easier to smash him because your brag is on your way twenty pounds more, and you're you're coming but out. But if with the ball advantage. is there and you're going for it, um, yeah. is it a so the last man back is he designed? He knew he was going to get beat, so he had to he yeah. make sure he kicked his. Yeah, leg. I mean it's it's obviously a judgment call from the referee, but last man back is designed to avoid cynical people taking it. If a guy thinks that he seemed, can get to the ball. At, then it's it's a foul, but is it a last man back situation? Yeah, well, I mean, again, this goes back to why I do not like give the give a penalty, give, give a yellow card if a guy takes takes a player down. Now, if it's cynical, as in like he cracks him in the leg, right? Then you make the judgment call like that was uh, a, a red card. But if it's like a professional foul, right? Last defender back, mm-hmm. and it's in the in the penalty area, and you award the PK. It should just be a yellow card. Right. I think one thing one thing they should absolutely clarify in the last man back rule is that if it's in the box and a penalty kick is awarded, then it cannot it you can get a red card if it's if it's you know if it's malicious, if like it's, it's you know it's yeah d- endangering the endangering player. a player, but right. it can't be a red card for last man back. Right, exactly. That's right. my point. Yeah. I agree. And so uh, Obvious, and, and, and I, but and that's my conundrum with the Brad Guzan foul is just like an observer of the of the rules. Like I didn't get that. Like how did he at least not get a yellow card when you see so many of these players make a professional foul in the box as the last player back? They get the give the PK and a red card, and it's like, well, this game's over now. Yeah, they right. ruin the game. Right. So, I agree. I don't know. I got nothing to say beyond what. So, you've so yeah, said. then they they score the Iguain scores the penalty kick, I think. Yep, and celebrates like he's uh, <laughs> not smoking cigarettes at Juventus anymore. <laughs> uh, and then uh, 
Oh, and then uh, Brad Guzan also made an amazing save in that in that uh, in that game. But it was I Eric- thought that the was it was it in this game that he made the save? He made an amazing save to to seal the win in Toronto. Um, uh, this was also an amazing save. Um, Both of them. Yeah, Miami, was this the Miami, one that Miami got a great cross in yeah, behind the center mid, smashed into him, smashed yeah, in, uh, and and yeah, he uh, ends up making yeah. a, a great save. Because he made a phenomenal save going down to his left and tipping it around the post or into the post yeah. against Toronto. I mean, that's twice that he phenomenally bailed us out. You know, and those there's a lot of people out there saying that you know maybe Guzan's past a step. He makes. You know, he's capable of making a mistake, but Some man, he's saves. bailed us out big time a few times. Huge amount of bailouts, so. like just like that. Mm-hmm. But then we got the free kick at the top of the 18 where Araujo uh, smashes it below the wall, yeah. which he claimed he saw, and that was his intention. You think he did? Well, I mean, I mean he definitely shot it low. Definitely shot it low, so yeah. Must have seen something. I'll give him I'll give him the pass there. I, I think he's a classy enough player that he doesn't hit that by accident. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So then, hold on. What what happened? How did we get the uh, how did we get the win winning goal there? Um, oh yeah, that was that was the one where in the seventy seventy second minute, the ball got played out of the back, out wide to Lennon. Lennon plays plays it straight up to Araujo, who turns and slots Martinez mm-hmm. in that game. And that's yeah, that was the one where I want to know if we were for the back. And yeah, Joseph looked like his old self. He. Very calm and coolly. Um, yeah, he, he looked the goalkeeper one way yeah. and played it near post. Brilliant. But okay, so now we're up two to one in that game, mm-hmm. and we could have done the classic Atlanta United thing yet again. Eighty-six minute, Miami slots a ball near post, and the guy shoots it, and it could have gone near post up to like ninety. Slammed off, slammed. Of I mean, goose. But then there was another in the eighty-eighth minute, another great save from across. And a header that was point blank range that Brad Guzan saved in that game at the very very end of that game. Yeah, I mean there was multiple ones where Brad. I think in, there were two times where Brad saved our ass in that game. Yep. So yeah, you got to know what the strategy is. Um, you know, um, again, as a coach, you got to have an identity, right? Tata Martino's identity was let's keep stepping on the gas and let's get the third goal. Yeah. Right. Um, there are other coaches. Let's park the bus or whatever. But Pineda seems to have this. I mean, his substitution pattern is just shambolic. I mean, do you want to talk about? We didn't talk about it actually, but the 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 subs in in tonight's game. Yeah. Go ahead. What, I mean, what the, was going on? So what we saw the the first two subs right were. Araujo came off, correct? So he brought on Martinez, right? Yeah. And he brought on he brought off Araujo and he brought off Moreno. Yeah. Right? Um and who who came in for Moreno were uh, we we had uh So Jurgen Hernandez came on, right? Hernandez came on, right? And Lennon went up to right wing, right? And <laughs> so okay, I understand resting Martinez, right? Makes total sense for me. I understand bringing him on with 30 minutes to go, right? But the guys who were going to set up 
um, Joseph Martinez to get you the late game winner. If you're going to push on, if you're going to bring on Martinez, you're going for the game winner. And if the guys who are going to set up Martinez are Araujo, Moreno, and Barco, how you can take two of those players off when you bring on Martinez is beyond me, right? And why you would leave Lennon on and as a right winger when you could have had Araujo on there is beyond me. So what is that about? Well, also, if you had to identify a player who was not having a good game in that game, who might it have been? Lennon. He was Lennon. terrible. He was not playing well. I don't know what he was watching, but I was so watching a different game. So why wouldn't you sub game. him off the field? Like, I agree. He was not defending well, which is what he... Clearly, in a game you're going for a draw, you want somebody who can defend well, right? Right. Bloody hell. Right, so I love, you know, to me, we've been asking for Ronald Hernandez, who I think can really defend. He looked great when he came on in this game, so I have no problem with bringing him on. But you bring him on like for like for Lennon, you leave Araujo on, right? I honestly would have left Moreno on at least for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, with Martinez, go for the game, and then shut it down in the 80th, you know, or 75th or whatever, right? But... You know, why in the world would you bring on Martinez and not give him the support to try and go win the game? So either you should have rested him and say, look, you know, it's still 0-0. We don't need him. We're only going to use him if we're down. Or you bring him on to go win the game. And if you bring him on to win the go to game, you got to leave on Araujo and Moreno. Like, yeah. come on. I'm with you. I mean, it's ridiculous. The substitutions were ridiculous. Ridiculous. And then, okay, so, yeah, G George Campbell came on, and then who else? In he brought on George Campbell for a barra, as a barra. sort of a, a like for like. Um, and again, you know. But George George Campbell is more of a center back. Right? We're all over the place, because last time when we gave up the tying goal, he brought on Moreno as a defensive midfielder. This time he brings off the only guy who has defensive midfield experience, and he brings on Campbell, a center back, playing as a defensive midfielder, which, okay, is better than Mulraney, who had no clue what to do as a defensive midfielder. But what are we doing? Don't know. And I, I had. And you might say, well, okay, Obar, you know, I think he's overthinking it. Like, Obara's not ready to go 90 minutes. You know, maybe he got a little bit of a knock early in the game, but he seemed fine, yeah. right? He's. 19, 20 years old, right? He hasn't played much all season. Leave him in the freaking game. Yeah. So I did a poll on our Twitter account, and I'm the I'm the active guilty partner most of the time on Twitter. If you're listening and you follow us on Twitter, I'm I'm the boneheaded person tweeting. You have uh, my full support, though. Thank you. And I do occasionally tweet from our account. Yeah. But I, I'm the knucklehead on there most of the time. And mm -hmm. I did a poll, Dave, on... You know, just like what's the barometer on the worry factor of of Pineda, right? And I, and I think two and a half, three weeks ago, I did a poll. I said, you know, are you very worried? Are you worried? Are you not worried? Or are you confident? And there was 0% that were very worried. There were 7 to 8% that were uh, worried. And I think like, 80 90 percent were not worried mm -hmm. and uh, several people were confident right yep fair because it's early it was early but then i redid the poll and it didn't sway that much i think we went to like uh 16 worried mm. so it only kind of went from eight percent to 16 percent on the worry i'm worried i'm worried too i mean you know 
Pineda also keeps talking. You know, he came as an assistant coach. He clearly wants to respect his assistant coaches because he just was one, yeah. right? And he keeps talking about, you know, the assistant coach is this and the assistant coach is that, which is, you know, great to respect your assistant coaches, yeah. but don't talk about them like that. You make the decision. And if you made it because of an assistant coach told you that, that's fine, but you make the decision. So you say, I made the decision, right? Right. You know, when you go back to him in Seattle, right, all these people said that Pineda was the silent partner behind their head coach, right? But their head coach, if you listen to him interviewed, it's not like he kept saying, oh, Pineda said this and Pineda said that, right? I mean, it, he's got to see himself as a, as a head coach. Right. He looks to me like an assistant coach who was still acting like yeah. an assistant coach. And you know, the only hall pass I'll give him is he came in into organization that needed higher spirits and somebody who could could lift it. And that seems to be his personality. Anyway, he seems like a good guy. But, yeah, he seems hesitant, to your point, to stamp himself as the man. And this is, is this is my way. These are my, my decisions. Yeah, and, like, even, for example, what we talked about earlier with, you know, this idea that, well, he's playing five in the back and only one in the midfield. He's intentionally trying to keep it open. Um, if you're doing that, own it. So do you want to quickly recap the uh, the draw against NYFC on uh, October 20th? Yeah, well, so this is going to say, so this is the other time that we catastrophically gave up the late the late goal, right? Um, and you and I are both at that game, I think. Yes. Um, I, was, I wasn't in our section. I was a little further down. I was in the, the ones. But... Uh, yeah, again, a frustrating game. So Barco had a red card, so he didn't play. So once again, Pineda didn't have to make a choice about, you know, how to play Bam. Although it seems to me that it doesn't matter. He, whenever Bam's available, he's going to yeah. play Bam. But he's also going to only play one guy in the center of the field. He has no problem for that. Yeah. Um, but we did start off with uh, a goal from Araujo. Uh, Araujo on the no, break, feeding Moreno. For feeding Moreno, who slots it into the mm -hmm, far post. Great. Not, nice goal. Yeah, beautiful goal. Um, and Bello, right after halftime, should have ended it. Um, and as we've mentioned on the podcast, he cannot just keep blazing everything on goal. Now, that being said, what happened tonight? Tonight, he tries to... <laughs> Be a little more clinical, and he should have just put his laces, laces through it. Yeah, so obviously either the fans or the coach or both getting in his head, and he said, yeah. look, you can't just keep blazing in a goal. you got to have some sophistication for your finishing. So he, he, tries, he tries to that get tonight <laughs> and gets it all wrong. The one time oh, he should have blazed God, it in. Yeah. yeah. Now, in fairness to him, yeah. he's 19, but, yeah. Yeah, you he, know, there's a weakness. You can't keep getting in phenomenal spots yeah, he and does. not coming close to scoring. Yeah, he gets in phenomenal spots and does not seem to get the job done on mm -hmm. finding the rippling of the back of the net. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and one of the things I pointed out, like he does a great job of cutting the ball. He gets deep and he cuts the ball back, you know, across the 18 at that dangerous kind of whoever's crashing into the box can kind of take that ball and rip it in. Um, maybe not the best early crosser. You see a little more of that from Lennon. Um, hey, but, you know, he does pretty well with his crosses, I guess. But I um, think Bellow is way, way, way better than Lennon. 
Um, Lennon, uh, I, you I know, agree. is supposed to be the crosses. We're supposed to do something, but he's not getting it done. He's not feeding anybody. Um, and I think Bellow is almost too good for the coaches, right? In that he's allowing, because he can do things and he's so quick and he can get by players. For example, we talk about Bello and Lennon being too far up the field. You know, it doesn't matter with Bello from a standing stop. He can yeah. still run by his guy and it's making Pineda and the coaches feel like, Oh yeah, it's fine. What we're doing is great. But on the other side, Lennon can't do it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Lennon is past the point. Like Bello's young enough, right? Like you put Bello in a Borussia Dortmund, academy you know in, mm-hmm. in that training system he will start to get the technical you know you just go back to basics right his you see some of bellows touches are not polished but he's got all the other attributes man mm-hmm. in terms of like physicality speed and mm-hmm. um you know some of the other things he does really well and i think if he can soften his touch a little bit and be a little more technical if he's in a european club like like that, I think he would excel. But right now it's his window, and I'm a little worried nobody's going to pick him up. It, he reminds me a little bit of Serginho Dest, yeah. you know, who is really good. I think Dest is maybe a slightly classier version, yeah, slightly I mean, older, sure. slightly older version, but um, same attributes: quick, low to the ground, good defensively. You know, in terms of physicality, a little bit naive defensively. Yeah, um, maybe not always the best one on one. Got to learn that. But getting forward, both of them, the speed, the you yeah. know acceleration. Except Dest had to finish. Yeah. <laughs> It just does not. Yeah. And he plays, and he okay. plays for Barcelona, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Fair. Uh, but no, I mean that, but it, it is, it, I, you know, to your point that he's being, uh, he's not coached in the right way. Cause he, I think he can be so much better than he is. Like he's got so much more ceiling and that's the frustrating, frustrating part about George Bellow on this team for me. Yep. He's got a lot more ceiling. And, and Bellow, for all the talk that we have, right, he could have ended the New York City FC game with a much better finish, which he mm-hmm. should have scored that goal. And tonight, he could have won the game, right? Yeah. So if he is actually a classier finish, and, and this is not such a criticism of him at 19, but if, if Bello is a better player than Bello is, and, and you said this about a number of our players, they're still so young. And I agree with that. Some of our frustration is still because they're so young. When you have Barco getting head-to-head with a guy getting a red card. When you have Bello being unsophisticated about finishing. Even Araujo's young and trying to prove himself and being a little immature out there at times. Yeah, and so, you know, in fairness. But if if Bello could actually finish better, we beat New York City FC because we buried them early in the second half and we score a late goal to win tonight at Red Bulls. Yeah. And it's kind of the perfect storm because really the mature players should be Martinez and like Brad Guzan, obviously, is the the old vet. But, you know, Martinez is trying to fake his way back and fake it until he makes it back, right? Because he's coming back from a serious injury. So his confidence as a leader really isn't quite there yet. Mm -hmm. So that, I think he's showing some immaturity in the way that he's reacting to certain things not going the way he would typically hope them to go for himself. So why does he keep bringing Marcelino Moreno off every game? I don't know. He doesn't look like a guy who gets winded. And late in the game, 
He does brilliant things yeah. the few times he's left on yeah. the field. Uh, uh, Why uh, can't he go 90? Well, also, let's talk about the sub in that New York FC, NYFC game, which was, I believe it was Huzetto who came off and they put in a Marcidic, who uh, is, yep. is the guy we got from Montreal. Right. And, you know, I think it was in the 75th, 80th minute, he he came on right for Huzetto or something. Uh, like let, let me, before you finish, and you're correct. Yeah. Let, let's just point out, right, in trying to close out the games, right, we saw Sedich come in in that game. We saw Mulraney come in in this game. And then we now, uh, in, the, in the previous game, and now we saw Campbell come in at defensive midfield. So Pineda is floundering. He has no idea who the guy is who's going to come in in defensive yeah. midfield. Because Sosa's not there. Yeah, when Sosa's not there... Yeah. Yeah. He has no idea what he's going to do. He's just trying. Yeah, he's just throwing darts at a at a field. But again, you kind of make your own luck. So yeah, Amar Siddiq ends up, and when it happened in the game, I'm like, I knew. Like I was, yeah. I was like, I knew. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I was like, I, like, I, we, I was I literally talking. It, yeah. I was like talking about it like this. Where I was like, they are absolutely. Mikey Dobbs and I are normally sitting side by side, <laughs> yeah. but he yeah. happened to be so, in a different part like, of hey, the stadium. Hey, Dave. They're definitely going to score. Yeah, on this me free too. Kick because me too. this is like, how can you give? Well, up? I said even before that, they're definitely going to score. Even before they got a free kick, I'm like, it's so when you let a team stay in the game that long, yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah, but particularly the way that we gave that free kick up, and it was such a dumb foul. Such a dumb foul. I mean, there were four people there. And yeah, he, he just pushed them for just no reason. Clamored right into the back of him. Yeah. You're like, what in the world? I mean. Ugh. Yeah, that, and I don't think you'll see Sadich very much after that, which is a shame because yeah, he was asked to do something that he's never capable of doing. Nobody ever said that Sadich was a defensive midfielder. What you need if you're going to bring on Sadich, so Sadich is a possession player. He's good with his feet, right, and he knows how to find an open yeah. pass. So if you bring him on on top of a defensive midfielder. Like today, yeah. if you left on Ibarra and brought on Sadich on top of it to be a possession guy, that's your answer. I mean, he seems like a good poor man Heinemann. I mean, yeah, exactly. One one degree down from Heinemann. Yeah, when he's facing the opposition's goal, he's fine. Yeah, yeah, but clearly not going back, clattering into a guy that has going away from goal, literally like going towards. He, that guy was dribbling towards the corner flag, and he just like smashed <laughs> yes. into the back of him. Yes, um, he was so, not dribbling towards our goal. That's for sure. That's all I have to sideways. say about that. That's all I have to say about the games um, that have occurred. Got anything okay. else? Well, you know, let's end by previewing going forward. We got Cincinnati okay. on decision day. So, um, okay. So, first of all, what's your prediction for us against Cincinnati, the worst team in the league on the road? More can we get it done. The, the only thing that I can picture is more of the same. Like I, I am so opt. I, I've gone into so many of these games, the last five games, being optimistic. Like there was one game that I thought we were. I think it was the NYFC game. I was like, we, we're going to torch them. Yeah, just and then like the I, Toronto too, for sure. I, I was like, I had this feeling. I was like, we're going to torch them. And at some point, you just have to say, well, we've been close to clicking. Like there've been moments where it's been free flowing, and it looks like we're going to score three, four, yeah. five goals. You know what they call that? It's only. Close only matters with what horseshoes and hand horseshoes grenades, and hand right? Grenades. So <laughs> nice. I feel like that's we're playing that game right All now. All right, we're, so what's your prediction? I, I think 
my prediction failed it, to get it done. I honestly think it's going to be a tie game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a draw. Wow, um, a draw would be pretty disappointing, right? Like I, I am expecting disappointment at this point. I mean, Cincinnati's in last place. They have absolutely nothing to play for. They don't even have a full time coach. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so it's not even like they're playing for their coach's future. So, so what I hope is that I am wrong, right? But if I am wrong, you know what I would expect is that we trounce them, right? Yeah. So my gut says we're going to tie. What I want to happen is we should beat them five nothing. Yeah, and I don't think we. I don't think that Pineda and the confidence of the team and the tactics are good enough where we can roll over them. I do think even despite all of that, we win, you know, maybe two to one or something. Yeah. Um, that seems reasonable, I but I could, done, I could but also see it being two, two Cincinnati's you know? really bad. Yeah, they are. So, you know, who also is really bad Toronto. Yeah, at least the version of the team we played the other night. Well, their first team is bad, so their second team. Yeah, I mean, so I. I, But that game should have been five nil. So um, it it's a funny thing to judge that game because I think we went into party time. We could have won five nil. So yeah. Okay, so then Philadelphia NYFC. Who's gonna win that game? Yeah. I like Philadelphia. I think they're they got a lot of confidence. They're they're a hot team for yeah. sure. NYFC had really, really, really struggled and they've sort of the righted the ship a little bit. Um Yeah, but I think I think Philadelphia's a, a more cohesive team. I feel like they've they they've been gelling all all season. They scare me as a team because of their unity as a team. Mm-hmm. Where NYFC I think I agree they kind of stabilized towards the end of the season but they still don't have kind of that spark. So I, I would expect Philadelphia to win. I predict a draw. I think um, be fair too. Philadelphia does well enough um, on the road to get a draw, but it's out on the road and New York City FC is playing well and they're playing for a home playoff game. They win, they play a home playoff game. Philadelphia has really nothing to play for. Maybe even they'll rest some players. Mm. Um, so I'm going to say... A draw, or maybe even a one-nothing win from New York City FC, and our home playoff hopes gone. So that means we start on the road. Um, I think that um, we will stay in fifth place, which means we will play fourth place, New York City F City, New York City FC on the road. Come, well. Disappointing as uh, an Atlanta United fan that wants to see some playoff games here at the Mercedes Benz. Certainly, not going to get a lot of them if we get any. Oh, you know, it's interesting. I'm just taking a glance at the standings and they say if New York City FC happens to get it done and wins, right? I mean, Nashville um, has a tough game, but you expect them to win. Um, so they have to win. But let's say Nashville were to lose. If they lose, they end up tied with New York City FC and um, Nashville with all their ties loses uh, the winning tiebreaker and they actually go to four. So um, it would be if New York City FC manages to beat Philadelphia, I think we get Nashville on the road. 
Would you rather play Nashville or New York City on the road? New York City. I don't know what it is about Nashville. It's just an annoying team this year. They seem to be a difficult team to beat. They are, but I'd rather play Nashville because they don't score. Mm. Right. And um, I feel like we can beat them. I feel like they're a little bit overrated slightly. They're just such a defensive team and they don't score. And so. I mean, the problem with Atlanta United right now is like, it's all relative. Like, we, it's like we're beating ourselves. Yep. It, it doesn't even matter. Like, to me, the. The X factor is ourselves, not the competition. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, had we gotten it done, and I think if Pineda really gotten it right, we would have gotten it done and finished um, with at least a home playoff game, right? If we got up to fourth, right? So at minimum, you play New York City FC at home. I think New York City FC at home, we, we win handily. Yeah. They can't beat us here. But, I mean, um, if we figure out a formula, like this is who we are, this is how we play, you play it every time and you play it this way. Right. That's all we need. I don't even know what that is, though. So I don't I just, I, again, that's why I just have such low confidence right now at this point in the season. Although, you, you know, if you look down at the playoff scenario, Philadelphia, Nashville, New York City, FC, Atlanta United, Orlando, and Red Bulls, which I think are probably going to be the the playoff teams. Montreal has a chance to get in over um, Red Bull, but I think that, you know, Montreal has their work cut out for them trying to win um, against Orlando, although they are at home. So maybe Montreal gets it done. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios. Orlando could be out. Red Bull could be out. Anyway, um, if you look at the teams, two through seven, Philadelphia, Nashville, New York City FC, Atlanta United, Orlando, and either New York Red Bull or Montreal, or maybe New York Red Bull, Montreal, and not Orlando, but there's not a lot of difference in those teams. Yeah. And I think talent-wise, Atlanta United is way classier than those teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us to just be in the mix... Now, granted, you argue we had so much to overcome. Had Pineda, you know, it's interesting, you can argue, had Pineda been in charge the whole season and basically done what he's done now, right, then we would be, you know, two, three. Um, But we wouldn't be flying away like New England. And to be honest with you, I think our team is probably talent-wise as good as there is. Is When did we get Araujo, though? Um, the very last moment of the deadline. Isn't that where things turn around? For sure. I mean, again, I think we're winning based on just pure talent. Yeah. That is still under-realized in terms of what it should be. I agree. So, any other uh, final thoughts? I think we talked about it all. Well, I do want to give one one shout-out to Lee and I's friend, Mark Gillespie, uh, a huge Atlanta United fan, a listener of ATL on Fire Dave. He's uh, having a thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Uh, I know you're having heart surgery in uh, in, a, in a few days, and uh, we're wishing you the very best. In yep, that. wishing um, you the best. You'll come out of this, and uh, hopefully, uh, do not watch Atlanta United during this. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good we, advice. Your heart will be stronger. <laughs> but uh, we uh, we're wishing you the best, and. Uh, Everybody, thank you for listening. This is uh, 
this is it. Hopefully we can talk some playoffs. But uh, we'll see, Dave, right? Next time in the playoffs. Take care. All right. Thanks, everybody.